Thank you, choir, and thank you, Dr. Long. If y'all gonna sing it like that, we'll just let y'all keep singing it. Um, all right, first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna remove this down here because I'm gonna knock it over if I don't. So. Remind me that it's down there after we get done. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open up with me. Um, having concluded our study in Luke last week, um, a rather long study, today we are going to embark on a new course, uh, one that will be shorter to be sure, but a new course in Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 14. Uh, and as you do that, I will sort of pull back the curtain a little bit, and I want to explain why I felt like God was leading us here uh, and why I think this is the book that is going to be good for us as we move forward. First, uh, it was just uh, at least partially a practical reason. Having devoted so much time to one book, uh, I didn't think it would be wise to immediately take that long-term approach again uh, I had originally thought we might go to an Old Testament book, and I still want to do that, but I knew that would get us bogged down for a while again. Uh, and so Colossians is, is four chapters. Uh, I mapped it out. I think we can get through it in about 12 weeks. Uh, and so I'm not making any promises there, but that's, the, that's what I have in my mind. Um, uh, but so it, there was a practical reason, at least partially. Uh, but more importantly, on a theological, on a, on a spiritual level, uh, which is most important. There were a couple reasons why I thought this might be the way we need to go. First, uh, as you know, we have the opportunity in Colossians to consider and to extol the preeminence of Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, in chapter 1 and in verses 15 through 23, I won't read them because if I do, I'm going to start preaching them, but you see them right there. You can read them for yourself. Jesus is magnified. He is presented to us in all of his splendor. And y'all, that's, that's something worth considering. I know some of you may think we just came through the Gospels. We just considered Jesus for two and a half years. Well, friends, when we gather together in this way, there is no one whom we should consider more than Jesus. To be able to see him once again, the way Paul describes him in those verses. I'm, I'm chomping at the bit to get to those verses, okay? So that's part of the reason. Uh, the second reason is as we see Jesus presented in this way, what Paul does, the reason why he presents him that way is because he goes on to say, basically, in chapter 2 through 4, is, all right, now, knowing this is your Savior, go and live this way. Go out into the world and let the reality of your union with Christ, and that's going to be a big part of what we talk about over this study, we are in Christ. We are united to him. Because that's true, Paul is going to say, go out and let this affect the way that you behave. Let this affect the way that you view others that you come into contact with. Let this affect your marriages, your parenting, your work, even the way that you use your time. In short, Paul is going to say, do everything, whether it is in word or deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. Now, he's able to say that because of what he says back in chapter 1 about Christ's preeminence. But friends, what this book, I pray, is going to help us do, what it's going to lead us to do, is as we continue to live in a lost and dying world, 
As we continue so often to be Christians who compartmentalize our lives in so many ways, and church and, and Christ and, our, and what we believe is just another compartment in the midst of all of that, what I want us to see from Colossians is that it's not just another compartment. It's the whole box. It's everything. And every other compartment is a part of the big whole. We, as God's people, are always everywhere serving Him. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But that's, that's my, my, my prayer. That, that's where I'm hoping to push us uh, as we move through this together. Now, having said all of that, what I want us to do this morning... Uh, is to consider some background, uh, some context of the Colossian church that will hope uh, lay the, I hope will lay the groundwork for all that is to come. Uh, you know, if you were going to go to another church in this day and age, and I'm, I'm not encouraging any of you to do that, I hope none of you are doing that, I, this is not a good thing for a preacher to say from the pulpit, but if we were going to do that, uh, you can imagine that uh, we would go say, visit their website, right? We would go see what they had going on on their website. We might uh, browse their social media presence. Just on a side note, can you imagine Paul's take on social media? <laughs> I don't think it'd be very nice. Uh, but anyway, that's what we would do, right? We would go see what's, what's going on on social media. Uh, and then we might, you know, try to go find some members of that church, people that we know in the community. We would do all that we could uh, to know certain things about the church. Well, obviously, as we turn to these letters that Paul and others wrote in the New Testament, we don't have access to a website or um, to social media or those things. Uh, so we have to do a little work, uh, but we do have a lot of background that we can gather from historical sources about what was going on in these places. And so as we start this letter, I think it's important uh, that we do that. Now, one final thing before we jump in. I recognize that in a sermon like this one, where we are doing so much historical work, I run the risk of just giving you a lot of facts, important facts, but just facts with very little application. Now look, never do I want to stand in this place and leave you with something like that. If you've been with us in our study in James, you know that he talks a lot about this. That knowledge, just head knowledge, is basically useless if it does not apply to our hearts. If it does not lead us to bow before Jesus and confess that he is Lord. And we can have all the knowledge in the world, but we are on par with the demons, right? They know, but they don't believe. And so anytime we gather like this, we want to lead our hearts to, to more and more trust in the Lord. And so uh, with that in mind, big picture today, uh, what I want you to, to see in these verses is I want you to see the various means that God uses uh, to establish, to bless, uh, to, to guard his church. I want you to see how he formed these Colossians. I want you to see the nature and the bond of the church, that they are united in him. And I want you to see the challenges, at least initially, uh, that are facing this church. And what I hope we'll recognize is that what's true for them then, what's true for the church at Colossae, uh, is very much true for us even now. Uh, a lot of the... Uh, 
uh, challenges that they face. There's nothing new under the sun. Challenges that we still face now. The way that God has united them together in Christ is the same as he has united us together. Uh, And the way that he works in various means, it's the same for us. And so I want you to keep all of those things in mind uh, as we work through this passage together. Now, I've gotten way ahead of myself. We have not read a single word of scripture yet. So before we move on, let's read together, okay? Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, teach us now from this your holy word. And as we have read, transform our lives through it by the work of your Holy Spirit so that we might live for you as your people. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. First in this passage, I want you to notice the various means that God uses in his church. And you see that there in the greeting and then also in verse 7 on down uh, in what we've read. Uh, Now, the the greeting itself, as really this whole section is, it's pretty standard stuff uh, for this time, for for this time period. When they would write a letter, whether it was Paul, uh, whether it was another Hellenistic person, whether it was a Jew, whether it was a Roman these were sort of the standard pieces that would go into a letter. They would have a greeting that would uh, say who the letter is being written by. Uh, They would announce who they were writing to, in this case the Colossians, Paul and Timothy, to the Colossians. And then they would give some form uh, of blessing, some form of address, of grace and peace. Now, to be sure, Paul makes this his own, and we'll say more about that in just a moment. But this, in many ways, is a a standard greeting. But as I said, uh, Paul, he tends to to waste nothing. Uh, One commentator says, uh, Paul, in his writing, he, he uses every drop of ink with a purpose. And even here, and if you go back through, it's going to be hard to see in one letter, but in all of his letters, whether he's writing to the Galatians or to the Corinthians or the Romans, 
from the jump, from the very first word, he starts driving it home to him, okay? And, and I would submit to you that he is doing that even here, but in order to see that, we have to know a little bit of background. And it's worth noting that it's background that the original readers would have known. So when he's writing to them, the things that I'm about to tell you, they would have already been familiar with. They would have already known these things. So first, it's important to note a few things about the city of Colossae itself. Uh, it was located in the Lycus River Valley, and at one point it was one of the most important cities in that area. Uh, that is, until a pretty significant earthquake destroyed it in 60 A.D., and so as Paul is writing here, most likely, it has been rebuilt and it is sort of struggling to, to get back to the preeminence that it was once at. Now, none of that is overly important, but it is significant to note that the city was about 100 miles east of Ephesus. Now, you're asking, well, why is that important? Well, if you look through Acts and you look through Paul's other letters, what you'll find is that there is no indication that Paul actually ever went to Colossae. Nowhere do we read of him directly ministering in that place. And so the question becomes, how did the church get started there, and how did Paul get connected to it? Well, that gets us down to verse 7, and it gets us down to this man, Epaphras. Uh, it seems that Epaphras uh, was the minister there at the church, that he was maybe the founder of the church at Colossae, uh, and that he is the one who has this connection to Paul. Notice it says that uh, Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us, so he is conversing back and forth with Paul or with Timothy, with the, the apostles, uh, about the love uh, that they have in the spirit, okay? So it's Epaphras who seems to uh, have this knowledge. Now, the question is, how did he get to this place? And this brings it all back full circle, okay? Uh, so that's where Ephesus comes back into the picture. Uh, we do know that Paul spent three years in Ephesus. You read that in Acts chapter 19, right? He spent three years there ministering to the people, uh, and so most likely, most scholars believe that Epaphras came to Ephesus. That's a lot of E words with PHs in them to put together. But most likely, he came there at some point during that three-year ministry. He heard the gospel from Paul. He went back to Colossae, started the church, established it there, and kept an open line of communication with Paul. History lesson. Y'all feel good about that? Everybody following me? Now, I did all of that, not just to put you to sleep, um, but, but I did it for a purpose. Uh, because it reminds us of the various means that God uses to establish his church and to bless his people, to instruct his people, not only the Colossians, but throughout New Testament history. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you remember in that church, and sorry, I'm, I'm jumping from church to church, so, but you remember there's a lot of division there about some people were baptized by Bill, and some people were baptized by Stephen, and some people were baptized by Paul, and they're very concerned about this, right? And Paul says, none of that matters. And he goes on to say, I planted, 
Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Ultimately, it was God who was doing the work. He and Apollos had been faithful servants, but God was growing it. Well, there's something similar happening here, right? Paul's uh, ministry to the Gentiles seems to be at some length the driving force behind the Colossian church, but that ministry, its impact, it's not just immediate. It's not just to those folks at Ephesus. It's not just to those at Galatia or, or the other churches where he actually visited. It's not just his direct preaching that has an impact. Yes, Epaphras was converted under that ministry, but then he goes, and let's recognize, with a, a lot less fanfare other than right here in Colossians, right? He goes with not nearly as much hoopla or to do because he was not Paul. He goes with a lot less back to his hometown, and he begins to share the gospel. He feels the call to ministry. He establishes a church. He faithfully takes back the word of truth. Ultimately, what happens? God, who gives the growth, establishes that work. He establishes the work of Paul. He establishes the work of Epaphras. Look, I don't imagine that they anticipated per se that when they heard the gospel that God would use it to do the things that he did, that he would use uh, Epaphras' words to establish this church, that he would use Paul's words to speak to Christians, to us, even here, now, in this time. But we have a God who, through ordinary means, is glad to build his church, who is glad to bless his people. Yes, we love to hear those testimonies, and I don't minimize them of all, that at all that Mr. Rodney gives us of the Holy Spirit doing miraculous things and giving visions and all that, and we're thankful that God can work in that way. But how does he most often work? It's through ordinary means. It's through families. It's through baptizing your baby. Well, not through baptism, but through what, we're, what we confessed here. That he is a faithful God and we faithfully teach our children the truth through the work of some faithful Christian out in the world. My point is this. Wherever God has placed you, I recognize that he has not made all of us Paul. He has not made all of us Billy Graham. He has not made all of us Bill Everett or Stephen Ewing. He has not made all of us uh, in a position where we have great access to 100,000 people. Like we're not governors. He's given us all different callings in life. But the point is, is wherever he has placed you right now in this season of your life, whether you really like to be there or not, wherever he has placed you, that is the calling he has placed on your life right now. And you remember what I said earlier in the beginning? That calling, that if you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, if you're a teacher, whatever you are, whatever that calling is, it falls under a bigger head. You are a Christian. 
That is your calling. You are a follower of Christ. And so wherever you go when you leave these doors, you take Him with you. Wherever you go, simply through faithfulness to Him, through faithfulness to your calling, faithfulness to say, yes, Lord, I trust you enough to share the gospel with my co-worker. Yes, Lord, I trust you enough to speak of what I heard at church on Sunday and what I heard in Sunday school to talk about those things. To be open about my faith. I trust you enough to do that. Does that guarantee you that your co-worker is going to come to believe in the Lord? No. I can't guarantee that. But guess what? God's not asking you to be successful. He's asking you to be faithful. And so whatever calling God has placed in your life, go out into the world. Do that calling as they just sang to us. From the bottom of your heart. Do it with all of your power, with all of your strength. Do it as you are doing it for the Lord because you are doing it for the Lord. And what He has said to us, what He has shown to us here is that He is faithful to bless His people. He is faithful to build His church through those simple acts of faithfulness, of just being faithful to what God has called you to do. So, We see God working in various means here, through various means to build his church. Secondly, in this passage, I want you to notice the the nature, the bond of the church. And you see that in this Thanksgiving section, verses 4 through 6. Now, we've already established that that Paul didn't really know these people on a personal level. Uh, But as you read this letter, it's really hard to tell that that's the case. In fact, if you read this Thanksgiving and held it up against, say, a letter like uh, Philippians, a group of people that he did know really well, that he loved dearly, it's hard to to notice, hard to note that that there's any real difference there. He's as passionate, he is as personally invested with these Colossians, it seems to be, as he is with the Philippians. Now, How is it that Paul can feel this way about these people whom he does not personally know? Well, notice the three things there in the Thanksgiving that he had heard about the Colossians. He had heard, first, about their faith. He had heard of their love for the Lord, that they were established, united to Christ. Secondly, he heard about their love For the saints, how they were loving one another. And thirdly, he had heard about their hope, hope that was laid up for them in heaven. Now, faith, love, and hope. I don't have to tell you that this is not the only place that Paul uses those three terms, right? Actually, he uses them quite often. Uh, You can go to 1 Corinthians 13, Romans 5, Galatians 5, Ephesians 4, 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, and 5, 8. And he uses those three words together in all of those places. Now the point is, is that faith, hope, and love, they had become a sign, or or a, a sign's not the right word, evidence of true Christian faith. They they were foundational, at least in the apostles' minds, for Christian belief. And that makes sense, right? Because who is it faith in? It's faith in Christ. 
Whose love is it that they share with the saints? What does Jesus say? They, they will know that you are mine by the way that you love one another. What is it that we have? We have hope, hope for the future, hope even in the midst of hardship. In all of this, Paul sees that these are true believers. These are people who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, no, he is not connected to them like he is connected to the Philippians or to the Ephesians or to the Galatians. Friends, I would submit to you that he is bonded to them, that you, if you are truly a believer today, are bonded to them as closely and as tightly as you are bonded to anyone because you are united to them in Christ, in Jesus. Paul is not only obligated to the uh, Colossians as an apostle, as a, a famous preacher, but he is obligated to them as a joint heir with them. He is obligated to them as a fellow servant, a brother and sister in Christ. Friends, in other words, what we have here is a reminder of the unity of God's people. Whether those people are here in the pew next to you, whether they are in the next state over, whether they are in Turkey or China or Pakistan, we are one body united under one head, Jesus Christ our Lord. And because that's true, we have an obligation, a passionate committed obligation to them all, to everyone who is united to Christ, to pray for them as Paul does here, but also to rejoice in their faith, to rejoice in their love, to rejoice in their hope, to rejoice that the word of truth, the gospel, is bearing much fruit in their lives. So y'all know that I'm love sports, team sports particularly, love baseball the most. And the great thing about baseball is it teaches you, and everybody says this, so y'all are going to say, oh my gosh. But it teaches you life lessons, okay? It really does. Uh, but one of the life lessons that it teaches you is that if you're a baseball player and you play third base, which is what I play, I can make every play on the field every time the ball's hit to me. I could get up and go four for four. But if everybody else on that field does not do that, if they miss every ball that's hit to them, or if they strike out every time they get up, guess what we're not going to do? We're not going to win. Now, it really, I would have been the one striking out and not making the plays. But you get my point, right? The success of my teammates is my success. The failures of my teammates are my failures. They're not just my, I'm not a lone wolf out here. Well, friends, that is true on a much grander and greater scale for you, the church. The success, the welfare of those next to you is your welfare. It's your success. The failures of those next to you, they have an effect on you. We, we talked about this earlier. But we have this individualized picture of Christianity that we're all just out here doing our own thing, that it's my salvation and that's all I've got to worry about. 
Friends, that's not what Scripture says. Yes, God is worried about your individual heart, but guess what else He's worried about? The heart of His people, His bride, His church. He has made you a member of that. And you are not out here doing this Christian thing on your own. You are obligated to those who are resting in Christ as well. And Paul shows us that here. He is, he is going to give these folks the best he has. I'm telling you, when we get next week to verse 15, you're going to see the best. We have that same obligation. Thirdly and finally, I want you to notice in this passage, the challenges facing God's church. And you see that in the prayer, verses 9 through 14. And look, these, these things will become more clear as we move through. And so we don't have to overdo this yet. We will talk far more about this as we move through. And so I just want to quickly point out to you the two things that he prays for because it will get on our minds the issues that are facing them, okay? We don't know what group particularly this is that is bothering the Colossian church. It could be Judaizers as in Galatia. It could be that Gnostic heresy that we hear about so often that plagued the early church. But whatever it is, notice that the first thing Paul prays for for these people is that they would have the knowledge of God's will. And we can be sure that, that whatever these false teachers were, were bringing to the Colossians, they were claiming that they had a special or a secret knowledge that the Colossians needed if they were to be truly wise, if they were to be truly, truly blessed. But notice, Paul, he roots them in the only source of knowledge. If you were with us on Wednesday night, we talked about this in James Two sources of wisdom, earthly wisdom and wisdom that is from above. And Paul here roots his readers in that wisdom that is from above. It's not a secret. It's not worldly knowledge. It's not something that you need a shaman or a guru or somebody who is somewhere, I don't know, somebody on the internet to teach you. Oh, God has revealed himself to us sufficiently in the pages of this scripture, in the pages of his word. You don't need a mystical sign. You don't need a miraculous sign. You can turn to the word. This is where real wisdom lies. Uh, verses 13 and 14. Real wisdom. Uh, go back just a little bit to verse 12. Uh, that qualifies you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's wisdom, right? That wisdom, it, it qualifies you for that, and it delivers you. This is a great verse, verse 13. It delivers you from the domain of darkness and transfers you to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Friends, if you want that, and you do, whether you know it or not, you do, the way to find it is here. You don't have to go look in a lot of places. Right here. He's shown it to us. He's given it to us. Sorry about that. Now, let me preface this just by saying that doesn't mean that our knowledge does not increase. Verse 10 says that it does. But it's knowledge always rooted in Christ. Second thing, quickly, that he gives us here 
uh, that, that shows us the problems that they face. Paul prays that knowledge would lead them to walk in a way worthy of the gospel. It seems to them, or seems to be, that these false teachers were encouraging pagan practices, encouraging the do things, encouraging these believers to do things contrary to God's word. But Paul reminds them again, like James, that real wisdom leads to right action. That if they truly have been forgiven, that they will be made that that forgiveness will be made manifest uh, in a newness of life. Uh, it's a newness of life that he lists there, patience and endurance and thankfulness and bearing good fruit uh, as they look ahead to the glorious inheritance that awaits them in glory. Look, over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to unpack all of that, okay? Uh, this idea of knowledge, of wisdom is going to come up again, of, of right living. We're going to do it again. So we're going to leave that there this morning because I know we're late. We're going to leave it there. But friends, all of this is rooted in that idea of union with Christ. All of it is because we are resting in him. And so for us, as we gather here at the start of another week, uh, as we deal with the, the challenges of life, as we consider all the dangers and the toils and the snares that face us personally, that face us as a church family. I hope and I pray that we recognize how desperately we need knowledge, how desperately we need spiritual wisdom. Over the next few weeks, that's what Paul is going to hold up to us. He's going to hold up to us wisdom and knowledge and right living. And again, all of it is rooted in Christ. And so, friends, whatever challenges you face this morning, uh, whatever uh, is on your heart as you leave this place, I, I, I challenge you, I, I encourage you, leave it with this Savior. Leave it with this one who is able to deliver you from darkness and transfer you to his joyous and precious kingdom, a kingdom that is from everlasting to everlasting. Thanks be to God. For Jesus Christ our Lord, as we pray together. Father, we do praise you for this church at Colossae. We thank you for the way that that even now their example, uh, the example of the way that you form them, of the way that you have united them together, of the way that that they face hardships, all of those things, they they speak to our situation even here, even now, some 2,000 years later. Uh, And Lord, we pray that as we embark on this journey that you would bless us. Lord, if you do not go with us, there's no point in us going. We need you to teach us. We need you to help us see the reality of your word. And Lord, how we thank you uh, that we are uh, by faith in Christ, that he has delivered us from darkness, that he has transferred us to his kingdom, that he has given us redemption and forgiveness of our sins. Uh, And so throughout this study, we pray that, that he would be before our eyes. Lord, lead us, guide us, and direct us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.